Hello, welcome to the 205 Vibe Podcast, where we discuss topics related to Rockford Public Schools and the larger Rockford region. I'm your host, Earl Dotson Jr. And today, we are very excited to have with us school board member Jude McCulloch from Subdistrict D. Hello, Jude. Hello. How you doing? <laughs> I'm great. You doing good? So first, let me always say I thank you for taking the time to be on the show and to speak with me. I really appreciate that. Um, and I think uh, hopefully this is uh, we'll all get to know a little bit more about what you think about our educational system and the things that we're currently doing. So I guess for the, the people who don't know you, right, um, people, tell us just a little bit about who you are and um, you know, kind of how you arrive to the board. So who I am as an individual or as an advocate yeah. for education? Well, tell us a little, just tell us a little bit about yourself. What, what if someone okay. asks you, like, Jude, what are you, who, you know, what, what do you care about? Like, uh, if someone says, what are the things that uh, uh, the, the person that we might not necessarily see uh, at the board, um, who, how would you describe yourself kind of? Oh, I think you see at the board who I am. I, there is, there is, uh, there's not dichotomy in who I am being a board member and who I am in my personal life. So I think that you would see that I'm, uh, I'm all about people. I'm all about, uh, and people means students is, I mean, children and education. My children had a phenomenal education, rock for public schools. And I would like to see that for everyone else. I would like, um, for them to have the same um, strengths as they move forward in their secondary school, if that's what they choose, or in an occupation. Um, <clears throat> you know, who I am, I, you know, people always define themselves by who they surround themselves with, I think, sometimes. So it's like I'm a wife. I'm a mother of, a wife of 38 years, a mother of three, um, daughter um, in a family of eight, fairly um, low economic background. Um, one of my favorite stories is when we came home from school every day, my mom had a fresh pot of soup. And um, one of the ways she got that soup was that the neighbors always brought the bones from their meals from the day before. And they knew if they brought those that she would make soup and she would give them, I, I don't know how we had so many mayonnaise jars, but she'd always give them a mayonnaise jar full of soup. So, um, so I was brought up with giving, you know, if people give to you, how do you give back? How do you pay it forward? Um, <clears throat> I'm from a union family. I think people would be surprised to know that. My dad was a pipe fitter. Um, he ran a union shop. Uh, my brother took over his, uh, and he's now retired. But, um, so I do understand unions and, and the place, um, and, and the reason um, but I do think times change and, and the advocacy that we need for um, our unions, you know, has changed as well. Well, thank you for that. And I mean, I really appreciate that because that, you know, sharing that type of story, um, again, for our listening audience and for those who may think that they know you may not necessarily know those things about you. So thank you for for, uh, you know, giving, revealing uh, some some personal things. Well, and that's me. a youth thing, you know, and then you get into your 
other years and I have a pilot's license, jumped out of airplanes, I was in ROTC. I mean, people see you as, it's like any of us, you see an older person and you can't imagine what, what else they did in life. Sat next to a guy this past weekend who, at a dinner, who um, was exploring the Antarctic and, and sleeping on the ice and, and he's easily in his 80s and you look at him and you think, wow. You know, everybody has a story. Exactly. And I say that often. Right. And, and you know, because, I, I, you know, we all do. You're right. We all deal with that. Right. And people see you in uh, a setting and whether they judge you by the way, what clothes you're wearing or the, the position you have. And they immediately begin to, you know, stereotype you and categorize you. And you're right. We all have a story. So, again, thank you for, you know, sharing a little bit of yours. Um, just to how long have you been on the board now? Um, nine and a half years. It'll nine be ten in years. April. So mm-hmm. that would mean, would you, I think you, that would make you the longest current serving board current member. Current board member, yes. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, tell us about how you got started. It's my understanding that, and just correct me if I'm wrong, um, you know, that you kind of got started um, in the PTO, would you say? What, tell us how you became active and decided, you know, I think I want to do more and I want to run you know, for the board? How did that all come about and how that happened? So I was a super active an officer in my kids' schools, PTOs, when they were in elementary school and middle school and booster club in high school. But um, I also had children in the gifted program. And so I was involved with the Parents for Gifted Education. Um, I was on the board and an officer in that for a couple of years. Um, and again, it was because I knew that students could get a great education in this district, but that everybody wasn't, you know, getting what I thought my kids were, that I wanted to step up and, and um, participate in, in moving the district forward. I There is no board member that runs to get on the board that doesn't want to make it better. Um, some people, and people go about it in different ways, you know, personnel, people get involved in curriculum, people get involved with, you know, um, the public, but, and the teacher, you know, there's just so many ways, but I just felt like from a leadership perspective, um, to provide some direction. And also when I got on the board, you know, I think I've had four superintendents. I'm, I have to count back, but, um, and, and we had the interim, you know, we had, Dr. Wills was an interim, actually, Teresa, um, with a K, was an interim, and, and I started with Linda, and then I had Levon. So we've been through quite a few, um, but I do think the key, well, I think the key is teachers, um, but you need a leader who motivates the teachers, and we've certainly seen what a, what a difference that can make. So that's a very important, uh, you know, statement you just made there about that relationship of leaders needing to motivate teachers, right? Because that's that's kind of where the magic happens is in the classroom. Um, so you, you've talked about, uh, you know, being here now under about approximately four superintendents and you've seen the different leadership styles. Um, is it your opinion um, in terms of the ones that you've seen to where you are now? Would you say are things better? How would you rate how, how things have progress and how they've gone since you've been there? Uh, They're different, and here's why. Each of the other superintendents came and they were fighting fires. There was always 
something that needed to be attended to and it didn't always seem to be curriculum and achievement and you know it might have been a building it might have been uh staff it there were a lot of things I'm, I'm trying to think of Dr. Bishop was one of mine as well I can't you know it all kind of blends but they come in um you know and they have to fight their fires and until you get established and have a base to work from, you can't really move on to the deeper pieces of education. And that's just my opinion, having seen what I've seen. So um, we know that, for example, when Dr. Sheffield came in, she had a, you know, she had different things she was working on, but her curriculum piece was ENI. Um, even that, it, you know, you couldn't walk in the door and just put it in place. If I'm sorry, just really quickly, just for our listeners, what's what's ENI? Uh, it it was we used uh, a bunch of our state uh, funded we got a bunch of money from the state I think it was like six point one million dollars or whatever and they decided to do a whole new set of curriculum and I think he and I was the company that we went with but basically the teachers and with the help of some of these uh, people from the company wrote curriculum tons of notebooks that went up on shelves and I really don't think they ever got used because from a top, it was kind of top down, you're going to do this. Um, and I don't think that we, they looked at where the issues were, or the problems were um, with the students, where, where were we lacking it? And we are doing that now. But to get to the point where we can say, where we can identify the areas that we should focus on um, takes a little bit of, um, not, it's not just testing, but conversations. Uh, to, with teachers, with administrators, um, so that the direction is well intended, um, instead of just throwing a whole bunch of uh, pieces. Uh, I, I know there's, you know, but you throw a whole bunch at something, and something might stick. Instead, you find out what you need to um, focus on, and and that's what I believe that having longevity in the current superintendent's office has been able to to do okay. now we've we have had some changes in administrators sure. that are work at cabinet level sure. that are working with the, the superintendent and i i think that has to a certain extent um delayed or slowed that progress um but I think we've got good people now. Well, I appreciate you. You're you are the way you. I love the way you're describing this because you're almost. It's you're you're helping me. You're you're kind of leading into kind of some of the next questions about just about the whole leadership piece. And so, thank you for being, you know, very clear about um, just your thoughts on you know leadership and where we are and uh, where we need to go. Before we uh, before I don't want to. I just want to. Just again, just revisit something really quickly. Um, when just going back to your kind of your background and what I would call humble beginnings, uh, and then having children who um, who were um, had the ability and the the intelligence and the, to be in the the gifted program to have the the ability to to, to deal with that the rigor of that curriculum. Um, would you say the, the how do you think those the parents and those students in that those programs, um, do you think it's a that, that they are fairly or unfairly stereotyped in terms of um, just you know the, the parenting and or do people do you think people stereotype those those parents 
to say they really don't understand or know what some of our other families deal with. Do you think that's a, a fair criticism or do is or is that is that something that is real uh, when people when you you hear those things or is that is that. You're talking about all the programs, special programs that we have. Yeah, Barber, do you, Haskell, yeah, do you, do Montessori. You, do you think that the parents, because those programs have done well, and you know, in terms of people have been, they've been a draw or an attraction. Um, they're how, a draw or an attraction, but they're not perform, outperforming. Other than the gifted program, they're not outperforming academically or other programs. So, um, but your to your question about um, stereotyping, there's a reason for stereotypes. You know, it might be because a, a small minority of people who are very vocal say things that maybe um, then end up being char- or characterizing all the rest of the pam- families. I, I, um, I think that when you have families in special programs, it's because they've taken an extra step to be part of that program, but it's not, um, you can be very low socioeconomic and still take that extra step. So that's not fair, but but the key piece is that you're an advocate for your child. And I think in this day and age, a lot of times it's easier to say, well, it's the school's job, you know, I'll sign them up, they go, um, and maybe not um, realize that your child needs something extra. I always say to parents, because I truly believe that you need to do what's best for your child and you know your child. I mean, if you have one child with asthma and the other one doesn't, you don't give them both the inhaler. Mm -hmm. So if you have one child who is really into STEM and they want to go to Haskell and you have another child who is, you know, into the arts and they want to be in Kappa, or you have a child who just fits in with all the other kids and they just need to be in the regular school, um, that you, you need to do what's right for your child. But again, to advocate for your child is an extra step. And, and some of our parents really don't have either the means um, or the, and by means, I mean time. And I mean, if you're working three jobs and you're working just to get food on the table and get your kids fed and, you know, to bed and all those things, um, you do place a great amount, an enormous amount of trust into some social institutions such as, you know, schools and churches and, and the like. And so one of the things you said, you did say you believe you believe all students can learn. You know, you it, it, you think all of, all of our students have the ability to learn. And, and do you believe all of our students can receive a quality education here at the Rockford Public School District? I would like for all of our students to have a quality education in the Rockford Public School District. I believe that we have some roadblocks to that right now, um, one of which one of which that we've worked very that we are working on and will continue to be an effort and that is um, the social emotional piece it's if if you're a child in a classroom where other children need a lot of support because for whatever reason um, their behavior is such that they can't attend to what they're learning or um, they don't have the role modeling because the other kids in the classroom are also disruptive. I do think that that takes away from some of our students. I think that uh, another reason we, we really have to get all staff on board with believing that every child can learn. Um, I think we have some adult issues going on where um, perceptions are such that they may think that a child that one child is just not as capable as another and, and perhaps we just haven't found the right way to teach that child. Um, I believe that 
um, our continuity and curriculum that we're working on is incredibly important because we have so much mobility in the district. Um, going back to your question earlier about the stereotypes about people in programs, if you've been in a program and you haven't been in a traditional school in our district that has some students who have um, different behaviors, um, you don't understand until you get to talking to the student, their parents, if they're available, their teachers, um, about really what else is outside the classroom. You know, you just see that focus on the classroom and you're just like, I just don't get it. Why don't, why aren't their parents doing more with them? Well, their parents quite often, and grandparents, look how many grandparents are raising children in so our district. You, so again, this, as I mentioned earlier, you do, you've, you, you, you're, um, you're, you're answering the question, which is great, and kind of the lead in, you know, kind of the second part of, the, of my question, which it sounds like you gave the answer there, which was um, what since you've, you've seen, you know, the kind of, you know, the, the stops and starts and the different leadership and the different leadership styles. Why do you think that's been, you know, so elusive, this idea of reaching optimum level of student achievement uh, in our school district? And I think you just kind of answered that, you know, with all of the, you know, all of the different, you know, things that happen in 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 people's lives and families' lives and, ch and children's lives. But uh, is there anything else you would add in terms of why, uh, you know, particularly certain groups of our, our students, you know, we know we have certain barriers with, with uh, different language barriers and we talk about poverty often. Um, why do you think that's been a kind of an, an elusive kind of target to, to be where we as a community and as a school district feel comfortable, um, you know, where we think we ought to be? One of the, you know, I, this school district has always had low-income students. It's always had students with problems with behavior. It's always had students um, that have language, um, you know, are learning our language. What I think has changed and the difficulty that, that we've encountered is a balance. <clears throat> At one point in time, we had a nice balance of students from all over town, all different ethnicities, all different socioeconomic groups. And when I say a balance, you know, um, if I am in a classroom, and I said this earlier, if I have kids in a classroom with students who have behavioral problems, but they're sitting next to students who are working um, there can be some collaborative work between the two or just role modeling of what good behavior is. When my children started in the gifted program at King, we had two-thirds of the school was um, gifted and one-third was neighborhood. And then they changed it and they moved it over to Washington. And um, one of the things that happened that was really interesting is most of those kids from the neighborhood that were in the building who had been alongside all the gifted kids, they applied in quite a few, most of them, I don't know most, I, I hate to use without a number, but many of them um, went ahead and gotten, entered into the program because really they had, they had learned some of the, the learning styles because the teachers had overlapped and shared their um, experiences and, and also the students had shared classroom time. Obviously, they're in gym, music, all those specials together. Um, and they really had developed a, a sense of, I can do this too, and this is what it's like to be a student. And so, 
you know, and King's School was in a neighborhood, a low social economic neighborhood, and, and um, you know, heavily minority, and yet, and that was the reason they closed it, was because it was so, the neighborhood kids in there, there was too many minority students, and it's kind of the opposite of, of uh, what you would think it wasn't, because there were too many majority students. Sure, 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 sure. <laughs> so I think, yes, every student can, I, I just really believe every student can achieve, but that this balance was lost mm, during mm. the lawsuit when mm. we had this flight to private mm-hmm. schools and up to the north and to the east, even some to the west. And so when we had that flight, we were left with this high, higher level of students who needed really a lot of support. And now they didn't have the internal supports in the classroom, but also, I mean, there's a limited amount of resources. And so we couldn't provide enough external support in those classrooms. And I, I think that's key to helping them focus. That's fascinating. And thank you for, thank you for sharing that perspective. I'm curious, you know, again, you've been on the board, you know, you said nine and a half years now. What would you say your constituents that you represent care most about? What kind of questions do you get from your constituents about the school board or the, 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 our, the Rockford Public Schools? You know, typically if I get a, a question from a constituent, it's a very individual, personal in nature. My student um, experienced this. Can you help me because I, I need to access this? Um, why are they doing this? Couldn't they do this? Suggestions. It's it's not typically about the school board in general or the school district in general. Mm. Um, now, that's constituents who have kids in the school system. I hear... I'm in the Northeast District. I have a whole lot of people who don't attend the Rockford Public Schools. I hear a lot why they don't attend. (laughs) Um, And so, as I said earlier, everybody has to do what's best for their child and family. And so if that's the choice they make, I never, I never would challenge anybody on Mm -hmm. that. I would challenge them on perceptions that I feel are inaccurate Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, or changes that we're making to try to make progress in different areas. But... um, but not their choice of, of, of uh, educational programs for their child. Understood. Yeah. Understood. You would you would you do you think it's a fair characterization of, of your time on the board um, to be regarded as kind of a fiscal hawk that you've kind of been a, a guardian or a steward of taxpayer dollars? Um, whether or not you think that's a fair characterization, but you you have you know really you know cared about how the, the money is spent. Why? Why is that so very so important to you? Uh, when you know your time on the board, uh, why have you kind of made that a focal point? I'm definitely. Um, <laughs> that's such a nice term. What fiscal hawk <laughs> instead of a cheapskate? <laughs> um, maybe part of it's my upbringing. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't quite have the depressionary mentality that my parents did, but, you know, it's still overhanging. Um, but more so, I think, because I, I always believe that the the money needs to support the achievement. And so the extraneous pieces, you know, one of the things I voted on because it was early on, and this won't be of any surprise to anybody, but um, when we were doing the task force and the, all the new buildings and the schools, uh, and I led that task force, but I said it was important that we had that we didn't run out of money before we got to the low hanging or or I should is it, we did the low hanging fruit, so the higher fruit mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. that no school went untouched because every school certainly needed um, 
work. But what was the, one of the first things we did were field houses. And I get curb appeal. I get that we're trying to um, attract students, make it a, um, at that secondary level. But, you know, you go into buildings now and you see that we didn't have enough. And so did we really spend our money most wisely? Uh, because to me, it's not attracting the kids at high school. It's making the experience. And we've seen that. So you can't just start with a ninth grader who can't read. And suddenly you're going to make the whole school district better because you're going to teach them to read. You have to start with the preschoolers, with the kindergartners, with the first graders. And we've seen that as we roll it up. Uh, those students are doing, I mean, we're really focused on um, all students. But those students seem to be, I, I'm, I'm hoping that as they progress into high school that we'll really see those changes in achievement because we've set the foundation. And so I think the elementary schools are just as important <laughs> as all those secondary schools. And I think that environment, you know, even just bathrooms and lighting, and we, we just ran out. We didn't have enough money. People would be surprised at that. They'd also be surprised at the fact that I was, we didn't even consider air conditioning every single space in the district because we knew that that was going to have to take away that was going to be very cost prohibitive and we were going to have to take away from where um i think you know the estimate was like 25 million or whatever and and i believe it or not i grew up in a home with pipe fitter we didn't have air conditioning. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I didn't have air conditioning in my home in Rockford for the first 36 years. We just got it a year, two years ago. Um, so I, you know, I wasn't on board that that was a priority, but I have changed my mind on that. You know, I'm glad I, I will tell you that because I want to hear that because that's that seems to be a big topic now. We hear that a lot yeah. about air conditioning in schools and how. Um, it, it, it affects negative, negatively or positively the learning environment. So talk a little bit about why you've changed your mind on that. I think that our culture has become climatized to a comfort level when they're in a building. And so they don't know how to experience that discomfort. And we're talking adults as well as children um, that, that would... And, and that they get focused on that discomfort to a, an extent that they can't focus on the learning. Mm. Um, and I know that, and I have, you asked me what I hear from constituents, they give me studies on air conditioning and how it affects, you know, academic achievement. <clears throat> um, how much of that is physical and how much of that is um, psychological that I can't do it well because I'm just so hot and I'm just so uncomfortable. Um, I don't know, but I do know that in this society today that we have been climatized. I mean, people are used to being in buildings and being comfortable. And um, if that is a piece that is going to help our students, um, and I'm, I, I think it's an important piece that okay. we need to look at this okay. next round on our buildings. Okay. Um, it, but it's it's a, it's a chunk of change, mm -hmm. and so we have to. How much? How much is a chunk of change? Well, I, we uh, were estimates. told like $25 million okay. Okay. To, to do the spaces that aren't air-conditioned. Obviously, everything new we've put in, we have air-conditioned. Um, there were buildings 
the newer buildings that were built, like Risa's air-conditioned, I think Eisenhower's air-conditioned, right? And then, of course, the two new schools were building their air-conditioned. There's a large chunk of Auburn. There's Jefferson's air-conditioned. So we have it in a lot of places. And maybe that's the other piece of my change in my thought process is that how can you have it at some and not at others? Because there needs to be... Um, I think that continuity across the district. What do you think? You know, we've talked a lot about you know, some of the fiscal, you know, the, the components. What do you think is the most important role of a school board member? I think the most important role is. Don't you like the way people do that to kind of give themselves time to think? Um, that's okay. That's is, we're, we're having a we very only have two, casual conversation. Yeah, we only have two employees, school board. Mm-hmm. So I think the most important role is to get the right person in the superintendent's office and then do their job diligently to evaluate and um, hold accountable to the goals that are set. And when in the past, I mean, I've been on this board with a couple different presidents who we would go two years without. Maybe that's because we had so many superintendents, but Mm -hmm. we wouldn't do all those evaluations. I have Mm. to tell you that Ken Scrivano is school board president. um, I mean, he's made it a job, Mm -hmm. and he's phenomenal at um, follow-through and making sure we sit down and do the evaluations, and and, and everything is relayed to the superintendent, and we work together to set goals. And uh, without that piece, uh, you, you you don't need a school board, do you? Because that's their main, that's their job. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, what we, you know, when things come to the board for a vote, it's they've been in. In case anybody thinks that that's the first time we're hearing things, quite often, um, we've had an opportunity. We we've there's been conversation about those pieces before. It comes to us, you know, obviously, let's just take a simple one, the contract, you know, the contract doesn't come to us and we say, oh, yes or no. We've been talking about what do we want to see in a contract? What are what are the important parts? What do we think will move achievement? What what do we um, what are what are what hill are we going to die on, mm-hmm, basically? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but that happens with. And, and especially when we used to have the subcommittees, education would pick apart new initiatives. Reading Horizon was one of them. That's the phonetics program that we now have in K through two. There was a lot of questions because we've had initiatives before, and mm-hmm. and really, why is this one going to work? Sure, sure. Um, and have you piloted it? And what did the pilot show? And and how are you going to roll it out? And how are the teachers going to um, be taught how to to bring this forward? Biggest surprise to me, the biggest surprise to me, when I was learning about reading in the education of uh, uh, teaching students to read, was that in college. The educational programs, I was told by multiple teachers that they get one semester of how to teach reading. Hmm. I mean, it is such a foundation. Mm-hmm. And it's fundamental to everything you do. People go, really, to math? Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it is important in math, and which is why we're doing integrated literacy, so that we're looking at reading and all the... We're doing, you know, we're doing all kinds of integrated programs because there is no silo. There can't be. Um, students are better maybe in one area than another, uh, but that doesn't mean that doesn't mean they 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 get to ignore the other. Sure, Re- really quick. So just just I just uh, um, again thank you for your time and uh, I really appreciate the conversation. Um, 
one of the things, obviously, we're talking about education and the role of teachers um, working in a, in a district that has seven bargaining units. And you're, you know, you have to, you're, oh, we were kind of on this kind of schedule of negotiating and renegotiating. How do you think um, that component of, you know, education, meaning, you know, the collective bargaining agreement um, with these, particularly with teachers, but, you know, we have we have others. But how do you think, you know, the 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 goals and objectives of, you know, the collective bargaining agreement, how that impacts how we provide effective education. And when you're and when you're in those negotiations and sometimes it's tenuous and the back and forth, um, what is it that you you want uh, the public to know who oftentimes just want their kids to be in school, um, you know, oftentimes they don't know kind of the behind the scenes. And so when those things are happening, what is it that you as a board member, you want the public to know, um, you know, what are your, your priorities as a board member? Well, the public is also a taxpayer. Most of the public are taxpayers. Um, and so we are looking out for... And I'm sorry, thank you for that. The public and the parents and, and the those parents. Do, those key stakeholder groups who just yeah. kind of, again, want the kids to be in school. But what is it that you think that they may or may not understand uh, what's happening kind of behind the scenes with the with negotiating and et cetera? I'm going to just backtrack and say that the other job of the school board member is what you just said, is that public and parental um, connection. It's kind of like our principals are the connection between our downtown administration and our, and our teachers. I see the school board as being a connection to the community and to the parents so that even though I don't have a lot of constituents coming after me about a lot of negativity, usually in areas I can help and pass it on, um, that it's a school board member's job in addition to, you know, what I've already said about the superintendent and our other employee, by the way, is the, the legal counsel. Um, but that it's important that people feel like they have a venue um, or a, a conduit uh, to, to get information or give information or ask questions. So, so you've just asked about that parent group um, and community with regard to the bargaining units. I would say, and, and I'll take heat for this one, that it's all about adults. I think that a lot of times when we're bargaining, we're saying, it's for the kids, for the kids. But it's really, and personally, I think that's the job of the union. A union's job is to look after their members, and the members are the adults. And that, so that's what they're there for. So I don't say that negatively, but I do think it distracts from the business of the district. I think um, everything that is not educational distracts from the business of the district, which is to provide education and move achievement in our students. Um, but when you have to spend time and, and resources uh, on that bargaining, um, then that has to come, you know, the, the, those have to come from somewhere, something else, um, whether or not it's, you know, monetarily, look at the legal pieces of it. Uh, that, and at the end of the day, if you don't do that and you have disgruntled employees, you can't move the needle on achievement. I think our students, everybody who touches their lives um, during a school day, and even not just during the school day, but you know that bus driver, that nutrition 
uh, food service worker. Um, even our, and, and this isn't a bargaining unit, but the, the day porters who work in the school and, and help to keep the, the environment clean and um, our security people. I mean, it's important that they're all invested in their job, invested not just because, oh gosh, I need a job, but because I really love kids and I like being around kids. And I will tell you that it can take just one person to turn a child's life around. And I've seen that, I've experienced it in my own. Um, I remember having a high school teacher who had faith in me and, and really made me feel better about myself. And it can just take one person, and it might not be a teacher, as I'm saying. Um, it could be a, you know, a para, it could, we've got all these, it could be the secretary that they see each morning. You know? So it's important that they're, they're all compensated and feel that they're treated fairly and appreciated. And I think that's what we, we do in the whole bargaining process is to try to come to that place that we feel um, we can afford and that we feel that they, they are happy with so that they do come to work wanting to um, make an impact on a child and, and to, um, you know, just to, to meet our students with, I hate to say, be, but like a smile and a, a positive attitude because negativity just draws more negativity. What about, um, you know, oftentimes there are tough issues that come up, you know, in, in a school district. And, and it's a wide range of things that happen from everything, whether it's achievement to some of the things that you mentioned earlier about people say this, why are they doing this or this is wrong or whatever the issue, uh, whatever the issue may be. Um, but but when those things come up, you, you know, when, when you as a board members and you're trying to solve some of those issues, um, what what do you think? What would you like people to know? Um, for you as a school board member, how you try to work through those problems. When those things come up, what do you want people to know in terms of having confidence in the board's ability to help solve some of the some of the key issues? Are you talking about day-to-day? Because the ones I mentioned were more with parents and yeah, specific so, items. So if somebody comes to me with- So, if it's, so for example, if it's, uh, you know, we've, we've heard a, a wide array of some, whether it's how how money is spent or what things are spent on or the lack of student achievement or the lack of diversity in, in the school district. I mean, there's a wide array of issues. Um, and whatever the issue may be, um, what do you think is important for just the public and those parents to know um, how we're working through some of those those key issues when they're not necessarily close to those issues? How would you describe that that process and that work? I think it's the board's job to identify concerns, ba- and quite often based on you know the input of community and constituents and the like. If it's an individual issue or item that a parent has with a school, I think people need to know that board members can't go in and fix it by telling the principal what they have to do. That is not our job. So what are, but that doesn't mean I, I, as I used the word earlier, conduit um, to bring it to the attention of the administration and they can find the correct person um, to answer that individual's question. But before I even ever do that, I want to make sure that the parent has had a conversation in the building with 
whoever it is, if it's the teacher and the principal, before it ever comes downtown. So that's on the more my, my you know, the mm-hmm, lower mm-hmm. level. Mm-hmm. Uh, larger items, I think, um, initiatives, sometimes our board member initiatives, but not always. You know, a lot of it comes um, from administration to the board. And in fact, that's how the board really works. Mm-hmm. Administration brings forward um, whatever, because that's what they're educators, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or if it's operations, maintenance, or if it's legal, or whoever it is, they have that, that is their expertise. And even though we have a lawyer on the board, and we, you know, we have, we, we used to have an accountant on the board, but um, <laughs> even though we have people who um, are intelligent mm-hmm. and can understand, that doesn't mean we are the ones out there researching what is um, the the best way to provide different educational um, components. And so it wouldn't have been my job to go out and find a good program for fanatics. But it is my job when they bring a program forward that we look at it and say, okay, why? You know, what is the research you did on it? Why did you decide on this one? Mm -hmm. I mean, nowadays we have the big, what, plan, study, Plan, do, study, act. Plan, do, study, (laughs) act, which is great. No, no, I think that's really great. some initiatives do come from the board. I mean, if we are having our, what are we at, three a year now or something like that, mm-hmm. two a year, um, where we sit down, sometimes it's just between board members who talk to other board members, one at a time, or, um, <laughs> and and identify and bring to um, the administration something that we would like to see more focus on. And you know right now this board is focused on one thing and one thing alone, and it's a hyper-focus, shining our flashlight, there you go, Miss Puma, on <laughs> achievement. And um, I think that we've kind of got all that white noise out there. I mean, we still have the air conditioning going. But we have, um, you know, the buildings are somewhat under control we have, we're, we're providing additional behavior intervention specialists. We've added an assistant principal in each of the elementary schools. We're trying to deal with all the things in the environment to make it a better learning environment. Um, and so now we can, we can focus on achievement. And so uh, I do think that the board sets the tone as to what's important. And that's the tone that we have right now. Just have a couple more questions. And again, I really appreciate your time. I, I just I want to, I want to get your your perspective on standardized testing. Um, obviously, they, uh, you know there are different um, you know again groups and uh, you know people who have a stake in our educational system who use different metrics to gauge success, if you will. So whether that's the graduation rate, whether it's on track, whether it's um, you know standardized you know part testing scores. Um, I'm just curious as to how much weight or how much uh, credence do you put in in terms of the, you know educating a child um, in those standardized test scores? You know, how how do you what are you what are your thoughts on the metrics we use to determine success and and how important um, those different metrics are? So I see standardized testing as a necessary evil. I mean, it's we have to do it by law. <laughs> what I think is a disappointment about it is that, for example, all of private schools don't take the same tests so that we could be really judged um, by our peers, so to speak, how they're performing. Um, 
And some of them do, but, you know, not everybody, if you're a private school, I don't think you, we don't get test scores from all those schools. Uh, I think that if you do a good job of teaching, then when the students take a test, it'll demonstrate that they understand or don't understand the material as compared to, oh, we have a test coming up, let's practice or let's teach to the test. I think that was evident um, we're going to be seeing our park scores coming up and, and different buildings. And, and this is a leadership decision. So this is more kind of a principal sort of decision as to how much time do you, do you spend preparing students for test as to how much time you spend just teaching students and hoping then they're prepared for the test. Um, we have the state test, which I already said is a necessary evil. Um, but I do see the use of, we call it, it's the MAP test, right? And we do that three times a year. We kind of get a baseline so that we know the areas that we have to focus on. In, and in, in different schools, it might be different, but really across the district, what are we looking at? Literacy and numeracy. We're looking at how, you know, math and, and reading, basically. Um, but unless you know where you're starting, you won't know if you've made progress. Um, currently, we're focused on what kind of progress we make during a school year. Eventually, what we really need to see is that we've made enough progress so that when we do take those state standardized tests this year, the park, um, in the past for those listening was the ISAT and before that, you know, it changes often enough that it's hard to make the comparison. But everybody's taking the same test, so they'll compare us to other school districts. Um, but at the end of the day, I'd like to see that it's not just how far our students have moved during a school year, but where how they compare with other districts. Okay. Okay. And, and I hope that that is something that when everybody sees that our kids can learn and they can learn at this, you know, that they're along with everyone else, that um, that, that perception that we can't, that students can't achieve in the district will be dispelled. Um, you, we, we, we know that there are lots of, uh, again, entities who try to describe, you know, us. We talked earlier before we started our podcast, just about how everyone has an opinion. Uh, the media <laughs> tries to describe, you know, and, and has an opinion about things that happen and pay, you know, other, other, other key audiences, whether it's our parents or community members, et cetera. Um, what would you like people to know um, about you, about what is it that Jude McCulloch as a school board member, what do you, what do you care the most about uh, when you, you know, you take a lot of time, you know, it's not a paid position and you attend committee meetings and uh, activities outside of the school district, board meetings. Um, you know, obviously there's a passion there. It's something you care about. What would you say that is, you know, the, based on the, the time you spend uh, and have invested here. What does Jude McCullough care about the most as it relates to? Kids learning. Simple, kids, as, simple as that, huh? As simple as that, kids learning. Kids learning. Um, kids learning so that they can advance to the next level and to become productive members of society and self-emancipated. <laughs> and and um, I would like for kids to feel good about themselves because they can learn. I think so often when we have behavioral problems, it's because that's you act out because you, you're just not where everybody else is and you're trying to hide it. 
So, um, yeah, I guess it's learning. That's and I like that. It's simple and straightforward. And so just again, on that, on along those lines, you, you said we've been, you've been here nine and a half years. And when you make the decision to say, this is it. And or, uh, you're, when you're done, what do you want to look back on and say, you know, here's something that I'm proud of. So what would you like to, to say that you've accomplished when you decide that, um, you want to take a different path? What would you like to look back and see and say, you know what, or, or are there things already that you think that you, since your time, you've been here that you can say, you know, we may not be where we want to be, but we have moved the needle and improved in this area. Is there anything that sticks out that sure. you've kind of done now or, or anything that you would like to see completed um, when you make that decision? Uh, stability in the superintendent's position and hopefully in his cabinet positions, because I believe the paradigm has shifted uh, in thinking that there's better people outside of Rockford who could run our district. And we have made the shift to, we have great internal um, staff, candidates who we've promoted, you know, our chief academic officer, our um, head of human resources, yourself, we have, and yours was in a promotion, I know we hired you in, but the other two were. Um, but when this, when this superintendent came on board, this, the board, and I, there were at least three of us, <laughs> I think that are still on there, said, you know what, we've tried it the other way. We've gone outside. We've gone to whatever, Tennessee, and we've gone to Louisiana, and we've gone here because somebody really good, we have to bring them in. We don't have good. And what we said was, you know what, let's find somebody who maybe is not at that level yet, but is invested in this community and has the potential with the correct mentoring and experience to really develop themselves. And I, I'm really proud that the board members that I was with at the time said, we're gonna, we're gonna take that risk. And I think it took a little while for um, that superintendent um, to say, I'm gonna do the same. Because initially, I think when you don't have a lot of experience, you come in and you're like, okay, I'm gonna surround myself with people who have a lot of experience. Um, and not realize that, and, and so many of those people, again, were from out of town and mm -hmm. we didn't have the investment mm -hmm. in mm -hmm. this community. Um, and so have, have now surrounded themselves with people who are from Rockford, their kids are in our schools, they're, um, they're, whether or not they're local born and bred here, but they are part of the community. And I am really proud of that shift in the thinking of who we need to lead this district. And I'm dismayed by the amount of time it's taking, but I'm not surprised. Mm -hmm. I don't know why people thought it would take five years even. I, mm -hmm. I always figured, just as I said to you earlier, you got to start with the babies, and by the time they're in high school, so I was always figuring nine, ten years mm -hmm. before we saw some significant change in our stats, especially you know in our high school graduation rates and um, some of our SAT scores now. Um, and, I, and it's coming. We'll see it. Um, but for that to happen, it can't just be leadership. And it can't be top-down. It has to be collaborative. That's where I see the union having to change and be collaborative. And I think they have. I think they're working really hard. Um, 
with the district to try to do what's best to promote, you know, to further the education of our students. Um, <clears throat> the, uh, oh gosh, I lost my thought, train of thought, but um, as we, as we move, uh, as we, we move along, I, I just, the achievement piece I would like to be proud of, I think that I'll have a hard time um, leaving until I start seeing that needle move up because that's what it came in for. But I'm going to tell you, as I said earlier, all school board members, when you run for school board, well, I shouldn't say that. I know some people get on because they want to get rid of a superintendent or they don't like an <laughs> sure, administration. Sure. But there is so much of yourself that has to be invested that you really do have to believe in students. And the reason they might want to get rid of a superintendent is because they don't think the students are getting sure, what they want. Sure. So at the heart of it all is those kids and kids learning. How do we how do we make it? And, and kids learn differently nowadays. We didn't even touch on that. But, <laughs> you know, the way technology is and the reason we're doing the podcast, for example, everybody learns differently. They're connected differently. And um, and we need to go to where they are um, to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. um, but we need to be able to meet them and, and use the resources and tools that really help them do that, our oh, students. That was, that was outstanding. Thank you so much. Ju, last question. These are like my little fun questions. <laughs> you think they're fun. <laughs> these, are, these are my little fun questions. Okay. I do. I think they're fun. Uh, do I okay. get to tell you if I thought they were fun? Yes, no. you do. You do. You do. You will. And you will. We'll, we'll find out here in your, oh, okay. in your answer. So um, you're at home or wherever. If you're watching TV or if there's a movie, what, what would you say is your favorite TV show or movie that mm. either you currently watch or a movie like your all-time favorite? Do you have one of those? Current or all-time favorite? Either. I never rewatch a movie okay. and I never rewatch an episode of anything because I don't like the deja vu. I already know what's going to happen. I have better things to do. There's so many other. It's like now I don't vacation to the same place because there's so many other places to go. I love that. So um, repetition is not my forte. Okay. Um, I have some nieces who love the movie Enchantment. Okay. It's okay. the only one I've seen repeatedly because whenever they come to stay with me, they watch that. Okay. But it's from a, um, a, I like on TV. Mm -hmm. and, and my husband and I don't, he cut the cord on me. <laughs> so there's not much TV going on. Okay, but Enchantment. Okay, I'll take so that. So that one, but okay, no, I, but I would say Chicago Med. Okay. I am a medical background and, okay. and I really enjoy that, but I also enjoy Blind Spot. I enjoy okay. what they do with the numbers and that kind of um, intrigue. So thank you. Awesome. Be you okay, uh, thank you. Thank you. What about uh, whether it's uh, your birthday or your, your children want to take you out for an, an occasion or your husband? Is there a favorite food that you like to eat? Did you, what's your choice? Is there a restaurant that you say, this? that's where I want to go? Or do, or do your family members, do they know what you like when it comes to a, a favorite place to dine? Or a favorite or a particular dish. Well, there's, there's, so if it's going out, which <laughs> doesn't happen very often, um, uh, for an occasion, I, I really actually like the Irish rose because okay. I like a fresh piece of fish. Um, <laughs> but um, I would have to say, if I had a go-to sort of meal, if we were going to get um, something at takeout, or I like Asian, so like okay. mushu, mm. a vegetable mushu. So, Interesting. Yeah. Last one. What about um, is there? Do you have a particular favorite genre of music, or a particular musician, or a band that you like when you're when you're just relaxing, or if you're going out? What do you What do you listen? What do you like to listen to? 
Uh, my <clears throat> my son's uh, feed on Pandora <laughs> because he's got everything I like. I mean, when I was growing up, it was Chicago in high school, you know, and I still like them. Mm-hmm. But and then in college, I really got more into folky stuff, so I liked Harry Chapin a lot. Um, and as I grew you know now I kind of like Scott Bradley's jukebox you know I just like that kind of swing stuff I love to dance and do swing I do have a favorite song that I always had and I haven't heard in a while but I always in in this maybe will tell you a little bit about me but um people Mm. and Barbara Streisand did that but that's kind of my life um, I'm, I'm a person who needs people. Um, maybe some people feel better with the fact that they don't need other people, but, um, I like, um, being needed, but I, uh, I mean, I like needing people and also being needed. And, and so I think that's, that makes me a whole person. Ladies and gentlemen, school board member, June McCulloch, sub-district D. Thank you so very much for your time. I really appreciate it. And, uh, uh, I just uh, I, I thank you for your leadership on the board and your passion for our students. So thank you so much. Thank you for joining us on the 205 Vibe podcast. If you'd like to comment on the show, please call us at 815-490-4117. Leave us a voice message and tell us what you think. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.